Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were true crime, history, and the paranormal me. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat, and I wanted to explain what we were doing in the month of December. Going through our archives of episodes, we realized that there were several of them that we could do updates and add to the stories in little ways. And since it's the holidays and de- very difficult time ways to get together and record, let alone research and post, we are re-releasing some of our very first episodes with the ads taken out and our audio repaired as much as possible. Today's episode is a Wineville Chicken Coop Murders. While listening to it again, I realized there are more parts of the story that we didn't include, including one I found interesting. The story of Gordon Northcutt and Samford Clark was made into the movie The Changeling, which we do mention at the beginning of this podcast. What I didn't realize is there are two things. The screenwriter Michael Straczynski first heard of the story of Walter's mom, Christine Collins, from someone in Los Angeles, whom he's never named. This person shared with him the files of the entire case, which were scheduled to be destroyed. Michael became obsessed with the case and wrote the entire movie in 11 days. And he actually used the transcripts from the trial verbatim in the movie. Also, the name The Changeling, which I always thought was a weird name for a movie, isn't maybe so strange after all. The title refers to an old folk legend. In the legend, fairies, elves, trolls, or even the devil are said to occasionally steal children from their beds and leave a false child, a changeling, in its place. The changeling would grow to be a problem, and the real original child would become a slave to whomever stole him. Now it makes a little more sense why he named the movie The Changeling. Also, we didn't include any of the ghost stories attached to the home in what is now Europa Valley, since they changed the name of the city after the trial to not be associated with such a horrible crime. I spoke to one of my paranormal investigator friends, who years ago interviewed some of the neighbors. They told him that they often hear cards shuffling near where the chicken coop was. And apparently in one of the stories Sanford had shared, he had said that night at night, the boys would play cards to keep themselves entertained and distracted. But not only that, and now this one breaks my heart, many people have reported hearing the sounds of children crying in the middle of the night. That one's hard to talk about. I can't imagine that there isn't some residual from what happened on that property. Please stay here and listen to our second episode from our very first season, The Wineville Chicken Coop Murders. Also, don't forget, if you're interested in attending our Christmas ghost tour of Old Town Orange, there's still a few tickets left. If you email us at huntinghistorypodcast at gmail.com, we can send you a link to purchase tickets. Welcome back to Season 1, Episode 2, The Wineville Chicken Coop Murders. I'm Kat, your host, and today joining me are both my co-hosts, Haley. Hi. And Tress. Hey. And we have a ton to cover today to tell you the story, so we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. September 15th, 1928, the Corona Daily Independent. Most revolting crime is exposed. Murder of four boys revealed by youth's confessions to police. Late developments this morning strengthen the story of Sanford Clark. 15-year-old boy of the revolting murder of four young boys by Gordon Northcott, aged 21 and missing. The graves at the Little Shack on Wineville Avenue in the Riverdale District are being opened today. 
September 17, 1928, Santa Ana Daily Register. Murder farm being dug up by officials. Deputy sheriffs today begin digging in a newly laid cement floor of a garage on the Wineville murder farm in the belief that they would find the entombed bodies of four small boys hacked to death by a 21-year-old. September 19, 1928, the New York Times. Northcott is taken in farm murders. Man sought in California for killing four boys is found near Vernon, British Columbia. Mother also arrested. Gordon Stewart Northcott, wanted by the Riverside authorities on a murder charge in connection with the alleged slaying of several youths on a chicken ranch and for whom a four-day intensive search was made. So, big news, 1928. You guys know about the chicken coop murders? Yes. <laughs> Just yes? Yes. yes. I kind of know. I, I think we've tried to like drive by the area because we live kind of close. But I don't know much about actually, what actually happened. It hits home because it's it's really how many miles from us right now? About eight to ten. Yeah. Have you been by the house? No, I've you, only looked it up on a map. You've never actually driven, not even in. You grew up here. You not even in high school. No. I thought that was like the thing. I thought it was like the town because we didn't grow up near here. So no, but is it actually all still standing? No. It's not. I believe mean, they built a new house on the land. They did build a new house, and, and, and the old house was actually there. And I could have seen it in high school, and you could have seen it in high school when we drove by there. Um, the original house was still standing until 2009. And then they finally tore it down, and part of the reason they tore it down was because every Halloween, more often than not, it was Halloween time, um, people would drive by and park outside and take pictures and try and get in the backyard. And so... The house, we did a comparison yesterday on the computer of what the house originally looked like with the actual police department were standing outside of the house during the searches, and there's photos of that, and so the house is in the background, and pictures of the house in 2009, it's the exact same house, so I know for a fact the house was there in 2009, but if you compare it to now, um, even the roof line is different, so they actually, I thought maybe they only rebuilt the first section, but it looks like they raised the whole house and then rebuilt a new house but it's still the land is still the same layout like the the house is almost the same distance from the street and then um you can see the backyard yeah i don't remember this story until the movie the changing the changing or changeling 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 when angelina jolie came out did you watch it yeah it's creepy but it's not everyone always wants to watch it at halloween i don't think it's really a Halloween movie. It's not a horror movie. It's more the story of Walter Collins's mom, Christine, which um, I would have been flattered if Angelina Jolie was quick to portray me in a movie, but she doesn't look like Angela. Sorry, Christine, you're a lovely mother, but um, she doesn't look like Angelina Jolie. Um, but she was a telephone operator. So they, they did, they, they kind of took license with the movie, but the foundation of the movie is pretty much the true story of what happened. The Chicken Coop murders were a series of abductions and murders of young boys that occurred in the city of Los Angeles and Riverside County, California, between 1926 and 1928. The murdered boys, like Tressa told you from the newspaper article, were Lewis, who was age 10, no, he was 12, and Nelson, who was age 10, Winslow from Pomona, and Walter Collins, the Christine that we are just talking about, her son, Walter Collins, from Lincoln Heights, he was only nine. And then there was an unidentified boy referred to through most of the stories, as Mexican ranch hand. Other accounts say his name was Gonzalez. I don't think they still even know who that boy was. 
Um, they just know that he was about 19 and that he was a Mexican ranch hand. Gordon Stewart Northcott, and he was age 21, and his mother, Sarah Jane Northcott, were arrested and charged with the deaths. The case received national attention for two reasons. The obvious was that there were children murdered, and two, the Los Angeles Police Department had been under scrutiny for recent failures, which the recent failures are nothing compared to what they did with this case. I mean, they, it's unbelievable what they did to Walter Collins's mom. Um, Gordon Northcott was born in Canada about 1906. I was trying to find a record of his birth. I believe it was either 1905 or 1906. He moved to Los Angeles with his parents and his parents' names were Sarah Jane and George Northcott. They say that he moved here in 1924. Clearly I've done like a ton of research on this. I don't necessarily believe that they moved here in 1924. I do know that in 1926, at the age of 19, Gordon Northcott convinced his father to buy him land and help him build a chicken farm. I don't, I don't know why a chicken farm, but that's what he wanted. And he, the news portrays the father as, as helping his son that he went, he bought him the land and helped him build this house. Other stories say that the father was actually terrified of his son and his wife. And he bought the house because he just wanted him away from him. But I can't find exactly where the census records that I could find um, is back when Gordon lived with his parents. He was only 14 and they were still in Canada. I can't find the California one. And I'm sure it's there. I just, for whatever reason, didn't spend a lot of time on that portion of it. But the bottom line is the father bought him the property um, and then built the chicken farm on that property in what was then called Wineville. You guys know that Wineville doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it's like Harupa or it's the Ontario actual, now. The actual address is now Yorupa Valley. And what I didn't say when we talked about the house being torn down and, and rebuilt, I think the address changed. I don't think it's still... It was originally 6330 Wineville Avenue, but I think now it's it's just a couple numbers off. I don't think it's the same address. To build the house, Northcott had convinced his sister Winifred to let her son, who was Sanford Clark, come to California with them. And that's where it gets confusing because supposedly they were already in California and Sanford, I know, was still in Canada in 1924. So from what all the, the information I got is that Sanford lived with Northcott from 1926 to 1928 when he turned him in. I don't believe that he was here as early as 1924. He was as young as 10, but I think that he came in 1926. And what had happened is that Gordon convinced his sister that he needed help building the chicken farm and the house. So Winifred let her young son go with her creepy ass brother to California to live. And there's, again, conflicting information. People say that some of the news accounts say that the mother is who saved Sanford, but it's not true. It, the, his mother, in the information that Sanford Clark gave, he, his mother was a horrible human being too. She, the... The whole Northcott, the mom, the dad, Gordon, the sister, were just batshit crazy. Did and she know that he was murdering these boys? She Well, no, he hadn't. When she let Sanford come to California, he hadn't murdered anyone yet. Well, they say he hadn't. I kind of don't believe Whenever you're talking about a serial killer, I don't think it just suddenly happens one day. I mean, he killed um, three boys. I don't... Or four boys. They said four. And he molested Sanford. Um, so I don't think... 
I don't think that he was the first. I think I think crap went down in Canada too before he even came to California. And I think that's I think the dad knew. The dad was very aware that his kid and his wife were insane. I believe Sanford Clark came here in 1926. I think he was with Northcott living on the farm or building the farm back in 1926. Sanford told police that almost immediately upon arriving in California, Northcott started molesting him and raping him as early as 1926. So for two years, Sanford Clark lived with a man that was molesting him on a daily basis. Clearly, poor Sanford's mom didn't really care. And um, Sanford's grandfather, George, who was Gordon Northcott's father, clearly knew what was going on and didn't save his grandson either. He left his grandson with his son knowing how creepy is that? Like you don't know. I don't believe that someone as close to the family could have not known what was going on. There's just no way. Stanford's grandfather, Gordon's father, George. Am I making this confusing? Yes. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize until just now that Stanford was either. his was the killer. The guy who's killing all his kids was his nephew. Oh, you did it? No, it's just a lot of names. I get confused. Okay, so Sarah and George are the parents. Yes. Their children. They had four children. They had Winifred who is Sanford's mom. They had the murderer, Gordon, and then there were two other brothers, which some news reports say that the two other brothers actually were put in insane asylums. Um, one of them went to um, prison for a murder on, at a different time or was put in an insane asylum. I can't find that to be true, but they were all crazy. So Sanford is the son of Gordon Northcott's sister. Winifred. Or Winifred. Winifred, whatever. Winifred. Winifred is his mom. And when it, and I don't believe if the grandfather knew that his son um, was where, doing what he was doing, the sister knew too. It's not like she didn't know. She where let her did, son go. Where did the sister and the parents live when Gordon had this chicken farm? Gordon and both of his parents moved to California. Yes. They lived in California. And then they built the chicken farm. They bought and built the chicken farm. But did the parents live with Gordon? No. So no. he was living by himself just with he his He was living Sanford. by himself. That's what they're saying is that the grandfather, the fa- Gordon's, Sanford's grandfather, Gordon's father, knew that Gordon was crazy, didn't want him in his house, so he bought him pro- the property and built him the farm to get him away from him. And then... And let his grandson live then, with him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So... If he was so afraid of him that he built him property and built him a farm to get away from him, why did he let his grandson live there too? Yeah, I don't know. That's what's creepy. So the media back then is the same as the media there. They get everything wrong and there's conflicting stories, but there's just no way. If If George Northcott was terrified of his son, why did he let his grandson live with his son? He knew. And that's apparently... Apparently the sister, um, okay, so family tree again, George and Sarah have a son, um, Gordon. They also have a daughter named Winifred. Winifred has a, has, she has four children also. She has a daughter named Jesse, and then she has Stanford. And then she had, I want to say another boy, which I can't find a lot of information on. Winifred let Stanford come live in California and Jesse stayed, the Stanford sister, Jesse stayed in Canada. In 1928, Sanford's sister, Jessie, came to California to check on her brother. Now, Jessie and Sanford are the only normal ones in the family, from what I can understand. Jessie 
was getting letters from her brother and for whatever reason the letters scared her and they don't say why they just say that the letters were what made her travel to california to see her brother um something in those letters and she was 19 at the time that she went to go she yeah she was only 19 and she the mom didn't come to rescue sanford but the sister did the sister came to california she went to the chicken farm and just to check on her brother, she went and talked to Sanford, and Sanford originally was afraid to tell his sister anything. He didn't immediately run to his sister and say, look, this is what's happening. So that night that she arrived in California, when Gordon went to bed that night, Gordon Northcott went to bed that night, Sanford told his sister everything. He told her that he was being molested. He told her that um, they killed three boys, that three boys were buried on that property. And the timeline's a little wonky, but I guess the next day, Jesse tried to take Sanford with her. She wanted to leave the chicken farm and take Sanford, and Gordon wouldn't let her. And at this time, Gordon was, he wasn't keeping Sanford as, you know, someone to injure or hurt. He was keeping Sanford because Sanford knew the truth. He knew everything. So Jesse was forced to leave the farm without her brother. She went back to Canada, and she told the authorities what her brother had told her that Gordon had murdered three people, three boys, that her brother was being molested, that he couldn't leave the farm. That he was being kept hostage. And the authorities, cause she, what she did is go back to Canada and tell the American consul. They didn't necessarily believe her at first. They thought the story was so outlandish and that she was sort of like a woman scorned or something and um, didn't believe her. So she brought out to them that her brother legally wasn't allowed to be in California. Basically, immigration got involved because they're saying, well, we're not going to go get your brother because he's being molested and his uncle is murdering people. We're going to go get your brother because he's not supposed to be here. And so the American consul wrote letters to Los Angeles Police Department who didn't pick up the story because honestly, they didn't believe her. So the Los Angeles Police didn't pick up the story, but immigration did. So on August 31st, 1928, two United States immigration inspectors visited the chicken ranch. They went to the chicken ranch and they um, immediately found 15-year-old Sanford and took him into custody. Again, not because he was being molested or knew about the murders. They took him into custody because he was here in the U.S. illegally, believe it or not. During your research, did you find where Gordon actually went to the district attorney's office and made a complaint on his neighbors? No, I didn't know that. What did Um, he complain? Well, he made a complaint on his neighbors um, saying that they had profane and violent behavior and that outbursts repeatedly upset his nephew. No, see, and that's what that kind of comes to light um, later on. We'll get to it is, is he would, I don't know how to say it, not put things on other people, but he, well, he did. He accused his father of molesting him too. He would, whatever he was doing, he would say other people were doing. He projected. He project Yeah. And it would, he felt like if he confronted it head on and said, oh, I heard screaming in the night. And so people wouldn't see, think that it was, the screaming in the night was caused by him murdering people. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he would put it on other people. But to other people, to the people around the farm, they thought that, you know, he was a great uncle and taking care of his nephew. And Yeah, he told the attorney's office that his nephew was training for the priesthood. Oh, I know I didn't, I never found that. By tending to the chickens. Yeah, because that prepares you. During the investigation, the neighbor recalled seeing Gordon beat Clark on occasion, and he urged the detectives to find out what was going on at the Northcott Ranch. Oh, when the neighbors 
responded to what he was saying when the neighbors were doing? When they started investigating the neighbor, the neighbor then said he was seeing stuff go on there. And when was this? 1928? Was yes. The same, was the same what month? It, was this, it says the summer. He visited visited the district attorney's office. So shit started going down that summer. Yes. Basically what happened is... See, isn't that crazy? I mean, it's the same thing like how we hear in the news now, how, um, like, someone gets arrested for murder or whatever, and suddenly people come out of the woodwork and they're like, oh, yeah, three months ago I saw him do this, or I saw him do that. I mean, it's sort of like the whole Cecil Hotel thing, like, with Richard Ramirez walking through half-naked and throwing his, his clothes in the dumpster, that that never came out before. Like you didn't think that was weird before, but suddenly he gets arrested for a murder and they're like, Oh yeah, I did see him walking around in bloody, bloody clothes. Like it's the same thing. Yeah. Why like, didn't they come forward? Then I mean, same thing with that neighbor. Like why, why, why did it take Jesse to go to the American consul in Canada and send immigration to the farm? Why didn't someone, why didn't that happen? Why didn't one of the neighbors say something sooner? He was beating his nephew. He saw him beat his nephew. Did you have an opinion? I don't really have an opinion, but it's the same thing. Like people can't, People are too self-absorbed in, in their own lives to see what other people are happening unless it's brought to their attention. Like, then they're like, oh, yeah, that's kind of weird. But, like, it takes them a while to get out of themselves. Isn't that sad? To realize that something else around them is actually happening. And how different our world was. 1928, a neighbor seeing a, a kid getting spanked, they were like, oh, he must have been bad. You, you see that you now. You minded your own business. You didn't mind your own. Yeah, you minded your own business, and it wasn't that odd to see a kid getting spanked, I guess. Like, I mean, I'm calling it spanking and the neighbor said beating, but they were probably like, oh, he was a bad kid. The uncle had to kick his ass. But now if someone sees that, it's, there's 30 people pulling up and it being announced on Facebook and uh, public lynching and you know what I mean? Like the neighborhood Facebook pages go off and back then it was like, oh yeah, he's being a bad kid. That's, that makes sense why he's spanking him. Yeah. But I mean, you have to forgive that part. So what did Northcott do when immigration came oh he ran he told he saw the immigration officers coming at the drive apparently it was a drive and he told stanford quickly to stall the officers he didn't know they were from immigration he just knew that they were guys in suits he told um stanford to stall them and he took off into the tree line and he ran for two hours stanford stalled them for two hours until Clark felt that he could be protected by the officers. And they were shocked. They were going to literally take this boy into custody because he was in the U.S. illegally. And then two hours later, Stanford Clark starts telling him everything that had happened. So Northcott ran to his mom, which I don't know how close his mom lived, but he ran for two hours. And him and his mom immediately fled to Canada. They thought that they would be safe in Canada. They were found on September 19th. So this all went down August 31st. And then on they were found September 19th by the Canadian police and both of them were arrested. As the Riverside police were on their way to extradite Gordon and his mother, Northcott granted an interview to the Vancouver Daily Sun. Now this is what you're talking about, how he told the neighbors, uh, projected what he was doing onto the neighbors. In the interview, Northcott said, there's been a lot of stories circulated about me. They're all untrue. What awful things to say about a man. Some people have been suffering from too much imagination and a lot of people will be sorry when this case is cleared up. He 100% projected that he didn't do all the things that he did, but he was so, I mean, I don't know the word psychotic. He was disturbed. Yeah. He was a pathological liar. Like all the things that you are when you're a murderer, I guess. Um, he went on to explain why he left. And this is the creepiest part. So the mom is originally portrayed as 
just being protect normal, protective of her son, you know, the mama bear. Turns out she's more like the mother from Psycho. Like, she will do, the father ended up testifying that the mom will do anything for her son. Anything. And that includes a couple of things, but he felt the same way about her. He, in the newspaper article, he said, I had to protect poor little mother from this, which is just going to gross you out later when you find out what poor little mother did. I had to protect poor little mother from this. I simply could not tell her of this. I couldn't let her know what they were accusing me of. If poor little mother had known of these charges, it would have killed her. So I kept it all from her, newspapers and everything. I was forced to hide them. I wanted to get her away to a safe place. Then I intended to go back alone and fight this thing. So he wanted people to believe that he ran to his mom and said, hey, let's just, let's just have them go to Canada today. And the mom said, okay. Like, it, that's not what happened. The mom decided, we're going to Canada. They're not going to be able to find you. They're not going to, it's a different country. They can't arrest you. And she protected her son. But he wanted people to think his poor, poor little mother. I wonder, you mentioned that he said that his dad molested him. I wonder if it was really his mother. Because it sounds like mm. a very sick relationship. Oh, no, it gets sicker than that. Later on, during the during the trial, the, the, the father got arrested too, by the way, the grandfather. Sanford's grandfather, Gordon's father, George, got arrested also um, because Northcott convinced people that his father had sodomized him starting at age 10. Was that ever actually, like, confirmed? There, the father just... never got a, was never put on trial, so I, I, I believe it was unfounded. So it could have just been him still projecting? Him blaming his... Okay, but this is a sick part. During the trial, the mom said that Gordon was not her son. Guess who he was? <laughs> I'm so I'm so grossed out. I, I can't want to guess. Father George, the grandfather, Father George, raped his daughter Winifred. And so that was her grandson. That was so son. No, Gordon was her husband's son with her daughter. That would make her her grand. That would just make you. It's just incestuous. That's like that makes him her grandson slash stepson. Yeah, it's so gross. It does. I just, it's unbelievable how twisted this story gets because there's so many like secondary stories. I I don't know. I mean, why didn't they just do? I guess they could do Winifred. Yeah, I don't the know. The same that... age. She was older than um, Gordon. Not by that much. I think she, she could have been twenty years older. She I wasn't though. I think when we, I Jessie think was... when she came to California, she was nineteen. I think Sanford was fifteen. She that never was... came to California. Jesse came to California. Sanford's sister. That's what I meant. I'm sorry. I meant when Jesse was nineteen, she came to California to try to save Sanford. At that time, Sanford was fifteen and she was nineteen, so they were only four years apart. So, so if I can't do that math in my head, <laughs> I can't. I can't figure it out, but. That doesn't make sense. You can't. Yeah, she. Well, how... I guess we have to find out how old. No, because then was, she right? would have been four years old when she had Sanford, right? No, you're confusing Jesse and Just... Sanford. They are brother and sister. Yeah, Winifred is Stanford and Jesse's mom. But aren't you saying the dad George had sex with Jesse? No, Winifred, his daughter, not his granddaughter. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. So That's funny. where I was so confused. I'm, I can't get all these names straight. I needed something written out in front of me so I can understand what's actually happening. But if he was arrested, Gordon was arrested when he was 21, correct? Gordon was arrested when he was 21. And Jesse was 19. That means Winifred was old enough 
to have a child that was only oh. three years younger than yeah, her she little was. brother Gordon. She was. So she could have been old, yeah. a lot older than him. Yeah, if, if Gordon and Jesse are, uh, I mean, sorry, Jesse is Gordon's niece. Jesse is Gordon's niece. Yes. And Winifred is Gordon's sister. Yes. So who, I'm confused, who did the dad, George, have sex with to create Gordon? Supposedly his daughter, Winifred. Win- got it. So think about Jesse it. and Sanford's mom yes. is Winifred. They yes. think Winifred and the dad made Gordon. Yes. Got it. I'm caught Gordon up. Gordon and Jesse are only three years apart. She had Jesse, so she could have had Gordon. Right. Now I get it. Right? Yeah, now it makes sense. So... Either way, just sick. I mean, even if it's not true, you're accusing each other of it, and clearly it's just the craziest, grossest family that has ever lived. Have you done any research on Winifred? I, a little bit. I mean, I didn't have as much time as I would have liked to, but, well, that's, I, there's information. There's, I was trying to look up Winifred Clark, and I kept getting um, Winifred uh, Sanderson from Hocus Pocus. And she is, I, I guess I'll have to do sort of, my little ancestors. But her maiden name would be Stuart. Um, I'm sorry. No, Northcott. Uh, Northcott. Yeah. Where's... She was Gordon, but she married a Clark. That's what Sanford's last name is, is Clark. Jesse Clark and Sanford Clark. And her name was, um, oh, I found it. She was born in 1888. 1888, so she definitely could have had Gordon. Oh, yeah. Well, that would explain the inbreeding, would have explained how crazy they were, but it doesn't explain why the mom was so crazy and Across. I can't. Well, it would explain a weird relationship between Gordon and the mom because it wasn't her son. Like, there could have been, like, a weird, like, relationship that's not mother-son because she wasn't his mother. Ugh. This just gets grosser. I mean, yeah, I just I can't. It doesn't, it, I guess, I mean, why was she so protective of him, though? If it wasn't her son, it was her husband's son and her daughter's son. It was her grandson. I mean, I yeah. just pulled up an article. Where she talks to the press about this. You want me to read it? Winifred? Winifred. Oh, yeah, yeah, go, go. It's titled, Record Will Prove Birth Farm Killer. Miss Winifred Clark Denies Testimony, Mrs. Northcott. It's kind of hard to read, sorry, the print. My mother and brother are both undoubtedly insane, Miss Winifred Clark told the United Press today, denying Miss Sarah Northcott's statement that she, Miss Clark, was the mother and not the sister of Gordon Stewart Northcott. This is independent evidence of Gordon's maternity and can be easily procured, she said. Both the doctor and nurse attended her mother at Gordon's birth are in Regina now. Riverside, February 1st. Gordon Northcott took the stand again today in his defense. Oh, God. Yeah, let's get to that. Like, does he talk about it when it being his mom? Or does he talk about Sarah being his mom? I haven't gotten that far. Because I want to tell you about, um, I want to tell you about when he so went to trial. Pause. Yeah, because we're going to talk about him going to trial and how crazy it was. I wanted to finish uh, with the article. He he said he was protecting his poor little mother, and he referred to his poor little mother over and over again, which she was anything but. And then the newspaper went on to describe, and I want to tell you how creepy this is, but the news back then, and we live in L.A., so it should be normal. But um, the newspaper went on to describe Gordon Northcott. Northcott is a good-looking youth and a dis- with a disarming manner. His fair hair sweeps back in an easy wave from the parting on the left. There is a ready smile on his lips beneath a well-modeled nose. His eyes alone are peculiar. 
They are deep blue, but possess a fixed staring quality as if the owner is in a thrall. And then they went on to describe, because it's so important to know what the well-dressed child murderers were wearing back in 1928. On the train, he wore a smartly cut brown tweed suit with a dark brown stripe. His tie was brown with cream-colored spots, and there was a thin brown stripe in his shirt. Seriously? I feel like I have heard other reports, and they always, like wedding stuff, they They, detail every every little thing back then. They they still do it today. No, I was saying we're in L.A., so, like, it doesn't matter if you're going to a murder trial or if you're going to the Academy Awards. What are you wearing? Like, I mean, that's the thing, but... That's what you report on. Yeah, it's just weird to me that 1928, they were like, well, if you're a murderer, this is what you should be wearing. Like, you know, he was was dappily dressed. Like, who cares? Once Gordon and his poor little mother got back to Los Angeles, the pair immediately confessed to the murder. Now, this is the thing... um, Right after they confessed, they recanted and said that they didn't do it. And um, Gordon Northcott verbally confessed to the murder of nine boys in total, even though they only knew about the four. Later, he confessed in writing to killing the Mexican ranch hand. He, and he referred to him as Gonzalez. He was the only one that referred to him as Gonzalez. I don't think they ever confirmed who that was. He never said where the ranch hand came from? Did he work on his? No. He, you know, I don't know. They don't know. And they know that he picked him up in L.A., and he dumped his body in um, La Puente. Did they find his body? They found his beheaded body. His body was found, and his head was burned at, on the farm. I wonder if they still have his DNA. I don't know. That's my question, too, because then you would really, the DNA thing would, I mean, why is, I mean, I guess they don't have to reopen the case. It was solved and. and but to find out who he is and yeah, find maybe out it, put some rest to a family's mind. I mean, but what family would be left right now? Christine Welcher Collins' mom died in 1944. Gordon never had children. Jesse may have gone on to have children, but does she want to know? I mean, I don't know. There are family members, though, because if you go on... It's really creepy to actually get to it, but if you if you research the family on Ancestry and you go to... Um, I don't know where I put this, and this is really kind of gross. Um, I found that George, the grandfather, was um, after he died... He, his ashes were spread in um, the ocean. And someone wrote on Find a Grave, and I, I want to find where I, I actually wrote it down. But I think this is really kind of creepy. There's, they still have family, obviously, alive. And someone posted on Find a Grave, you can kind of write about, like, R.I.P. or I miss you or whatever. And someone, and I'm going to look it up really quick because I'm really annoyed that I can't find it. He, someone had posted that he... Like, they R.I.P. on his grave, and he was the father, the father of Gordon Northcott, which I think is, you can hear me typing, because I, I would need to find it, I thought I wrote it down. Someone posted, someone posted flowers. On Cyrus George Northcott, someone had, this is the grandfather, his name was Cyrus George Northcott, had posted, I don't know what to say, and then someone else posted flowers, because you can leave a flower. Someone else posted flowers, and it's kind of creepy. I mean, maybe they didn't blame the grandfather. But the other creepy thing is on Gordon Stewart Northcott, you can't post flowers. It's been disabled. And it says virtual flowers have been disabled because of abuse. Have you ever seen that? I've never seen that. I guess I've never looked up a murder. I've never looked this up before either. That's really interesting. Who would want to? Where is he buried at? Um, It says, oh, Marin County, California, San Rafael. Ew, he was buried in the San Quentin Prison Cemetery. So Northern California? Yeah. He doesn't say we should take the paranormal team and go 
pay him a visit. I don't know if you can get into the San Quentin Prison <laughs> Cemetery. Can you do that? We would have to look it up. I would. I want to go to San Quentin because another another story we have is about San Quentin. So. I'm sure you could because, I mean, just because you're in prison doesn't mean you don't have family members that want to visit where you died. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure you can still go and visit graves. You even though so? they're. I don't, I mean, it's part of the prison cemetery. I mean, everything on prisons is always usually closed, right? And I don't, I'm not the, I don't believe that cemeteries are haunted. Maybe other people have different opinions, but do you really think that he's hanging out at the cemetery? I don't, I don't necessarily believe that. Creep factor would be high. I mean, if you want to go and just be creeped out, but I mean. It would be interesting to see what our median picks up. Yeah. That would be kind of interesting. Okay. We need to get back onto, we kind of got off track a little bit talking about graves. Gordon Northcott was charged and stood trial in January 1929 for the kidnapping and murder of Gonzalez, the Mexican ranch hand, and the Winslow boys. Northcott proved to be a frustrating subject, the news all reported. Um, what he did was he, he kind of played with the police. He would tell them something, and then he would take it back, and then he would tell someone something. He'd change his story all the time. He sent the police on wild goose chases. He sent them to different locations where um, bodies would be found, and they wouldn't find it. And then he dropped hints saying that he actually committed more like 20 murders or 30 murders as opposed to just the four. And he was assigned a lawyer and then he fired him. He got another lawyer, fired him, got another lawyer, fired him. And then he finally decided that he was going to defend himself, which is what I wanted to get back to. He grandstanded a lot. He was super flamboyant all through the trial. He was... 100% 100% enjoying the notoriety of being the center of attention because of, like you can imagine the courthouse was filled with newspaper men and people just wanting to hear because back then you could just go to any trial there were no such things as closed trials so they had gallows and everything where people could sit and watch and he was enjoying himself he put himself this is the craziest thing he and I want to find the court records he put himself on the stand like he was his own lawyer put himself on the stand Asked himself questions and answered them. Are you even allowed to do that now? Yeah, you can. Yeah, absolutely. You well, still can. I know you can represent yourself, but can you question yourself? Well, I think so. Yeah, I'm sure you can. But he, can you, can you even picture it though? He would be like, and, and your name is? And he would say, Gordon Northcott. Like, well, yeah, he's crazy. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> I can picture him doing all kinds of crazy things. And I, and what was the jury doing through all this? Were they just, like, this guy's crazy? Like, did he 100% believe that he was going to be able to prove his own innocence? Well, yeah. Someone who decides to defend themselves and projects all these things to other people, the arrogance that that person has is unreal. Yeah. They, and no one can touch them. They can do what they want. He accused the police of wrongdoing. He actually accused the families of doing the families of the victims. He, he ripped them apart. He would say things about them and what they did wrong. And then he even accused the sheriff's department of certain things crazy i i he really felt like he was on on a stage he brought his mother he requested to have his mother on the stand and she had been she was actually in jail at the tehachapi state prison which is still open by the way to testify on his behalf in her testimony she claimed that she was not his mother this is what we talked about earlier and that he was really her daughter's i mean yeah Gordon, that gordon was that he was not she was not the mother of gordon that her daughter had actually given birth to him and um, she used that. The reason why she said that is because she actually confessed to all the murders. She said she did them herself. Her son had nothing to do with it. And so the reason why she said her daughter gave birth to Gordon was because 
she was trying to prove that she she's not lying. Like, why would I lie? He's not even my son. So it's her way of trying to convince everyone else that she has no reason to protect this kid yeah. that her husband her had. Yeah. She didn't want to be portrayed as, like, the mother-son thing. Like, she didn't. The protective mother is what she didn't want to be portrayed as a protective mother that she was lying because she was a protective mother because he wasn't even, she wasn't his mother. That's just just so crazy. And she threw her husband under the bus saying that her husband committed incest with their daughter. She, they, they were both just insane. I can't even imagine like watching that now. And none of this stuff was actually proved by anything. The dad says it didn't happen. The daughter Says his sister happen. says it didn't happen. It so was just only... the mom and... Yeah. Yeah. And DNA, again, I'm going to go back to the DNA because I'm all about the ancestry and the DNA. It would have been easily proven nowadays. And I'm curious why no one wants to prove it now. I would want to go back and find out. I would want DNA tests. But, I mean, you'd have to exhume the bodies and everything, right? Yeah. They wouldn't have done tests like they would do nowadays. I don't know. Then George took the stand. Like, I don't think... It's weird to me that Gordon would have put his father on the stand, but there's record of his father's testimony. His father um, said that he had seen evidence. So his father knew that his son was killing people. Um, Evidence of the disposal of the bodies using fire and quicklime. In fact, George had actually given, had taken a load of quicklime to Gordon. So he knew. He knew his grandson was staying there and he knew his son was committing murders. And he never went to jail that I could find. So he's just as messed up. Well, like, yeah, I mean, clearly the whole family's all crazy and jacked up. And I don't believe that Northcott put his dad on the stand, so I don't know who did. Um, maybe, oh, you know what? It was probably the prosecution put the dad on the stand because Northcott claimed that he had been sodomized by his father since he was 10 um, and that his father had been in an insane asylum, which, again, there's no record of his father being in an insane asylum. I would think that it would have been documented, but there's missing census records and... They were from Canada and they were from, they were in the U.S. So it's kind of all over the place. But I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that the father molested him. I don't believe the father, I think the father honestly would, maybe I'm crazy, but I think the father was terrified of his son and his wife. I don't know. I can partly see that, but then I have a hard time visualizing a man being afraid of his wife and his kid. His kid was murdering people and he knew it. I mean, yeah, but if you're afraid, why not just be like, hey, my son's killing people. Like, that's what I can't get past. Why, he didn't just go to the police? Well, because he was crazy, too. They're all crazy. They're all insane. Winifred's crazy. Um, She let her son go with her crazy brother. And Sarah Jane is obviously crazy. And Gordon clearly is crazy. There's just a pathological mental illness running through the family. So maybe he was really just afraid. I I feel like he was afraid of his son. I I don't know. You guys did research, too. Do you think he was afraid of his son, or he was part of it? I really can't say either. Um, if he was afraid of his son, then why would he give him the line? He was afraid of him. He kind of did but things. why not just step away from the situation? He already had him out of his house. I don't know. It's the same as an abused wife, right? I mean, he maybe was an abused husband. Like, it's same abused wives, and they get afraid, and they do things that they, they wouldn't normally do because they're terrified. Maybe he was just terrified of his wife and his son. I mean, they were all... And if he was still living with his wife. Yeah, he might have been afraid. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, clearly, he never he never went to trial himself. He never went to prison. He lived his life. He died... I don't remember. I just looked it up. But he died in 1944. 
So he went on to live from 1928, or the trial was actually in 1930. So he went on to live his life and died in 1944. Mom died in 1944. Did he also? The dad died in 1944. Also, they both died in 1944. Okay. Um, the, like I said, Sarah initially confessed to all four mur- murders. Um, she testified that she was completely devoted to her son, and would do anything that he asked. Uh, she was put on trial for Walter Collins's death. Only Walter Collins's death, by the way. Because I don't think I touch on that. When Walter Collins was being kept in the chicken coop, he was the third one murdered. The first one murdered was the Mexican Ranchan. And then the two brothers, Lewis and Nelson Winslow. And then Walter Collins. When Walter Collins, the night, this Samford testified to this, by the way. The night that Walter Collins was murdered, Sarah Jane decided that they all three had to partake in his murder. And the reason that she did that was because that way none of them could turn on each other. She forced Sanford to help kill Walter Collins. So she took the blunt end of an axe. And Gordon actually wanted to shoot Walter Collins, by the way. And his mom said no because the neighbors would hear. So she said, while he's asleep tonight, we're going to go in the chicken coop, all three of us, and we're going to kill him. So she is the one who struck the first blow, killing Walter Collins in the head with a blunt end of an axe. Then she probably partaked in all of it. I don't think she was actually there. I don't think... I think she was living with the husband. She knew her son was... I, I believe she knew her son was molesting and letting boys go. Originally, when he first came to California, he was molesting boys. I mean, we know he was molesting Sanford Clark. But he would also go pick up other boys under the ruse that he needed help on his farm. He would molest them and take them home. He didn't kill them. He didn't start killing until the... And until the, none of those boys came forward? Five years after the trial, one boy came forward. Yeah, that wasn't something you would have probably talked to no. back then. No, the boys were... No, the boys were looking for work. Someone offered them work. They got raped, and he would take them back home, which is really weird that he was... He wasn't... He wasn't killing them at first. He was just molesting them and raping them and letting them go. And I mean, apparently the boys were too scared to say anything. I don't know how many there were. I mean, it could have been three. It could have been 30. We don't know. So then we're like speculating that the mom probably knew everything that was happening. Just like the dad knew. Yeah. Because obviously the dad knew. Yes, the dad knew. And they weren't necessarily helping him kill or get rid of these things besides supplying the thing, the lime or whatever the heck. But that she had to take in the last one? That's what I'm confused about. She, like, well, why because is she only involved in the last one? Why was she only involved? Because Well, I don't think anyone had any. I think Gordon was on his own. Gordon and... Sanford knew it was happening, but he wasn't a part of the death of, or I mean, I could be wrong. Um, I don't necessarily believe that he helped kill. He knew, he knew about the ranch hand because he helped burn and crush his skull. And he knew about the Winslow brothers because he helped bury them, but he didn't participate in the actual killing of them. He only participated in the killing of Walter Collins. And I think what happened is that Gordon, and this is just one thing that I read, Gordon became attached to Walter Collins and wanted to let him live. And I'm sure that the mom saw his picture in the paper. She knew that her husband was helping supply quicklime. She knew that her son was doing something. And suddenly Walter Collins goes missing and his picture is in the paper from California to New York. She probably went over there specifically to see if he had Walter Collins. And that's why she forced Sanford to help kill him because that would implicate all three of them. And it would guarantee in her mind that none of them would turn the other one in. But they all did it. So if you're going to say anything, you're going to be in trouble too. Yeah, all of that makes sense. And so she was implicated 
in the trial for just the murder of Walter Collins and subsequently sentenced to life in prison. But she only did 12 years. Just under 12 years, I think. She actually got out. And the the reason that they didn't give her the death penalty was because of her age and gender. And um, she ended up dying in 1944. After a 27-day trial and two hours, only two hours of deliberation. I can't believe they needed two hours. Did they eat? Like, they only needed two hours to convict them? I mean... I mean, they needed a full two hours and not only two hours. They only, I would have just been like, we don't need to go in the back. He's, he did it. Yeah. Like, why did they have to deliberate for two hours? I'm thinking people needed potty breaks and a smoke break or something. Um, after a 27-day trial and two hours deliberation, the jury found Northcott guilty of the murder of the Winslow boys and the Mexican teenager. He was sentenced to death in February of 1929. Um, I want to kind of talk about the victims now. Uh, Samford Clark. He was not tried for the murder. I mean, because technically all three of them murdered Walter Collins, right? So the DA's office decided not to try Sanford Clark for murder, even though he confessed, he told the truth, he told everything that happened, he told everything the night that Walter Collins died and why he died and how all three of them took part in it. Um, but the DA decided, the DA's name, in it, if you read his story, the DA kind of took a, a shine to Walter Collins, I mean to Sanford Clark. The DA, his name is Loyal Kelly, believed that he was innocent and also a victim and not a willing participant, which is clear. Yeah, I would 100% agree on that. He was sentenced to five years in the Whittier State School um, for an experimental program for delinquent use for rehabilitation. He, it was a new program that they had started at the Whittier School for Boys. <laughs> it was for um, juvenile delinquents. And what they did was basically rehab them with love. They taught them how things, they taught them a trade, they loved on him. He only, um, I think he just said, I think he said he was incarcerated, it wasn't incarcerated, he was at the school for 23 days, 23 months, so only less than two years. He went on to marry and live a very productive life, adopting two sons. And this is a sad thing. He adopted his sons. Do you want to know why? Have any idea? Sure. Do you, no, can you I guess? No. He adopted his sons because he didn't want to carry on the family genes. Like, he was so disgusted by his own family and what had happened that when he married, he married this amazing woman. The, the stories about his wife are just, he actually tried to commit suicide one night. She had called him down for dinner, and he wasn't coming, so she went to his room, and he was holding a gun to his head. And she took the gun out of his hand and said, get your butt down to dinner. And that was it. She loved him. She loved him and, and fixed him. And he spent his life, he felt guilty his whole entire life. And um, when he was on his deathbed, his son said, I love you. And he asked him why. That's so sad. He's the one who turned in his uncle, but he felt 100% responsible for all those boys dying. And that yeah. makes me so sad. I mean, he was a good guy. He became a, a pillar of society. He worked in his church. He raised two sons that were pillars of citizens. You know, they were great people. And his wife was amazing. And he lived a good life, but he never got rid of the guilt that he had, even though he's a victim. I mean, it's victim guilt, clearly. It would be hard to get rid of that guilt. Yeah, you can't. Um, the story, there's so much more to read about Sanford Clark, and I highly recommend it. There's just a ton of information on him and what happened to him and how he went on. And then um, and the Winslow boys, who were the first ones that were murdered, or they were the second, the Mexican hand, um, farmhand was first, and then it was the Winslow boys. Lewis, age 12, and Nelson, age 10, were the sons of Mr. Nelson Winslow Sr. and Mrs. Winslow. They were adopted abducted on March 16th, 1928 from Pomona, California on their way from a yacht club meeting. 
North Cott was convicted of a kidnapping and killing them both. I mean, clearly he didn't. They were coming home from a yacht club meeting, so he wasn't picking them up to help on the ranch. He probably offered them money or food or whatever, whatever reason why these two boys would get in someone's car. I don't know. But um, Mr. Winslow, and there's not a lot written about the Winslow family, but um, Mr. Winslow led a lynch mob to the Riverside County Jail where Northcott has, had been held. And he went with the intent of hanging Northcott after the completion of his trial, but um, before his sentencing. So he showed up at the jail with a lynch mob and was going to hang Northcott. And the police talked him out of it. I would have too. I mean, that's the only way you can get to him is bring a lynch mob with him. And he wanted to kill the man who killed his sons. And this is after he had confessed to killing the Winslow boys. He had talked about it. Walter Collins, one of the other, the, the victim at the end, um, on March 28th, Walter Collins disappeared. His mom had given him money to go to the movies. Initially, now this is a whole story within itself. We could 100% do a whole episode on Walter Collins and his mom. Initially, his mother, Christine Collins, and the police believed that um, enemies of Walter Collins Sr., his dad, um, was abducted by um, inmates from the Folsom State Prison where Walter Collins Sr. was at. So Walter Collins, his dad, was a prison, was in prison for rob- robbery and eight armed robberies. So originally they thought that his, that Walter Collins, that his dad, had he had ratted people out in prison. So they thought that someone who had gotten out kidnapped his son. So they weren't looking for some random person who kidnapped his son. They were looking for prison inmates who had been released. So it got um, the mom. Now, this is Mama Bear. She didn't let go. She got the press involved. That was one of the reasons why there was so much national attention. Christine Collins would not let it go. And if you see the movie Changeling, it's very, it's very accurate. Christine Collins fought to find her son and would not let go. This is where the Los Angeles Police Department went haywire. And honestly, you could do a whole show just on her. She was looking for her son, looking for her son. Five months after her son's disappearance, a boy in Illinois claimed to be Walter. So the police went to Illinois, brought this boy back to California and did this huge publicity thing. Invited all the press, invited Christine. We said, we have your son. Christine 100% believed her son had been found in Illinois, that maybe he had just run away. She shows up and they try and give her another kid. How would a boy in Illinois know about this, this Walter? So the, did the police no. give him the story? No, no, this is what's so sad. And I have his name. I don't remember. His name is Arthur something. Um, no, he was in a diner. And a woman who was reading the newspaper, there was a big picture of Walter Collins saying he was missing and that the Los Angeles police was looking for this missing boy and the mom, what the mom was doing to find her son. And... The lady in the diner looked at this kid and said, you look like Walter Collins. Are you Walter Collins? And he denied it. He said, no, 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 I'm not Walter Collins. So that's where he got the idea. That's where he got the idea. Because the lady's like, this kid is missing in Los Angeles, California. And you look just like him. And when she said Los Angeles, California, he got the idea that he wanted to meet his favorite um, Western star, Tom Mix. It was a way to get to Los Angeles. He was 12. 12. So he wasn't a missing child. He wasn't so a missing child. This was just his own way of, of getting, getting to Los Angeles. Yeah. They say that they, well, apparently his family was messed up too. I, I think he was a runaway and he happened to end up in this Illinois diner. He was trying to get to LA anyways. So when this lady said, hey, you look like Walter Collins and he ran with it. And so they, he's like, yeah, 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 I am him. And he, he told a police officer that he was Walter Collins. So the police officer knew the story because everybody in the nation knew the story. And, um, 
called the Los Angeles police. The Los Angeles police went and picked him up, brought him back, staged this huge reunion. And Christine's like, that's not my kid. But this well, this little boy, this Arthur kid, kept insisting he was Walter Collins. So the police, the his name is J.J. Jones, the police captain, wanted so bad to have good press. He told Christine, go ahead, take him home and try it out for a couple weeks. Christine was forced in front of millions of people. And then she started doubting herself, like anybody would. She was in the throes of grief. She had lost her son, that her 24 hours a day, 70s, I mean, that's all she thought about was getting her son back. And then this man is saying, this is your son. He's just changed in the last five months. So she took him home knowing it wasn't her son, but she didn't want to hurt this little boy either. Like, who is this kid? Takes him home. Now, this is where it gets so much worse. Takes him home. Finally gets Walter's dental records because it's clearly, I mean, yeah, Walter's dental records. Clearly it wasn't that easy as it is now. You can just call up and have them email them to you. But she finally got the records. She got um, written statements from all her neighbors and all the people that knew Walter took this little boy back to the police station and said, this, this isn't my son. I have all the, here's all the documentation. His teacher said, it's not my son. The neighbors say, it's not my son. Dental records say, it's not my son. And, um, the police put her in the hospital. It was equivalent of a 5150. Now they put her, they said that she was crazy, that she was denying her own. So it was all over the papers. She was denying the existence of her son and that the police got her son back and put her in the hospital. So they kept this kid and um, he finally confessed to not being. Now, I don't know if this Captain J.J. Jones knew from the beginning it wasn't his son. I think he truly believed that it was Walter Collins and forced Christine to take him. Like he probably had doubts like, oh, crap, maybe it isn't his her kid. But he forced her to take him. And then the minute she said it wasn't her son, like, did he know for a fact it wasn't her son or they was probably he? thought she really had a mental breakdown. They could have. Having five months looking for her kid. Yeah, they could have. They could have, but he he put her in the hospital. Basically, he had them take her away, like kicking and screaming. Put her in the hospital. She went into, like, a psychiatric ward. And then um, the boy confessed. I'm not really Walter Collins. My name is Arthur. I just really wanted to meet Tom Mix. But they left her there for ten more days. They knew, when they knew it wasn't her son, they still left her in the psychiatric ward for 10 more days. I mean... Well, they had to get their story together. Yeah, the 10 days they left her there. Christine Collins ended up suing the police department and winning the judgment. I, and I want to say it was around ten or $12,000, which is equivalent of almost $200,000 today, and it's not that much money. Um, but she never collected on it, and it, which is really sad. She actually never got the money, not that it would have made a difference. But the sad thing is, is that... All it did was convince her that her son could still be alive, that it wasn't, that this boy that they gave her was not Walter and that she wanted to believe, she really did want to believe that her son was still alive. She also became more hopeful that her son Walter was alive because she interviewed, well, Gordon Northcott was in prison. She got to interview him and ask him what happened to her son. And he did the same thing to her that he did to the police. He denied and then he confessed and he denied and he confessed and she became convinced that he couldn't describe Walter Collins at all. So she became convinced that he was still alive, which is really sad. It made her cling to hope because he couldn't describe who Walter was. So she had been thrown this kid that wasn't her kid. And then she got to interview Northcott and he claimed that he didn't even know who Walter was. So it all, all this 
it messed with her completely. She believed her. It gave her hope that he was still Did alive. Did they find his body? Walter Collins? Yes. They only found pieces of bodies. They never found... The bodies were burned and, and melted with quicklime. I don't know what quicklime does to a body. I've never heard of quicklime. Do you? Yeah, I've heard of it. I've heard it will dissolve bones, but I've also just recently on another podcast heard that it actually does the opposite. People think that it dissolves bones, but it really almost petrifies them. So, See, and today they would be able to test that. Back then they weren't able to test that. So, no, the body, the full, the body of Walter Collins was never found. They found bones. Um, he confessed. And really they relied on Sanford Clark. Sanford Clark said it was Walter Collins. So that's what they determined. I mean, that's how they decided it was Walter Collins and the Winslow boys too. Because Sanford was there. Sanford had seen them all. Shortly before his um, execution, Northcott sent Christine a telegram. Seeing he had lied, and he denied that Walter was among the victims. He promised to tell the truth if Christine went to prison to hear it. So right before he was executed, Christine, just literally hours before he was executed, Christine was allowed to speak to Northcott again. I I believe it was a second time. He had told her in the telegram he was going to convince that that he killed Walter. And he was going to tell her what happened. When she got there, he claimed innocence. He changed this whole story again and told her that he didn't know who Walter was, that he never killed Walter. This is after telling her in the telegram that he did. And so she wanted closure. She was not going to ask questions or find anything out. She was going to get closure that it was her son that was murdered. So she expected him to say, look, sorry, I did kill your son. Right. And... I'm giving you peace before I execute it. And then he did the complete opposite. He did the complete opposite. She was hysterical. She had to be carried out of the gym. And then and again, all it did was convince her. She looked for Walter for the, the rest of her life. There's never a time that she wasn't looking for Walter. She was convinced that he was still alive because they never found the body. I would keep looking too. I mean, who wouldn't? Who, I mean, 100%. It would who make would. you go insane. It probably did. I don't think she ever remarried. I don't, her husband was... I want to say he was in prison for life. He did eight armed burglaries, so it wasn't like minutes. On October 2nd, 1930, the Los Angeles Times, San Quentin. Northcott began screaming and trembling. Don't hang me, don't hang me. His hands shook as San Quentin guards strapped his hands together. Will it hurt, he asked. He requested a blindfold so he wouldn't have to see the gallows. He had to be dragged up 13 stairs to the noose, pleading with guards. Please don't make me walk so fast. Witnessing his execution were 140 people. Northcott's knees sagged as a trapdoor opened. His collapse took the slack out of the rope, and thus his fall was too short to break his neck. He apparently took 11 minutes to strangle to death. This part wasn't mentioned in any newspapers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode, links to our Patreon page, and all of our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. Remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.